The Jewish views on the UK-Israel Dangor Health Initiative. In a first of its kind, David Dangor tells us how the NHS stands to benefit. JMI's Jewish Music Fair 2018. Jennifer Jenkel gives us an insight into this year's impressive lineup. And the toy drive that friends and family of former teacher Suri Dibina have launched in her memory. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish news this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. A British Jewish philanthropist who's backing a new UK-Israel health hub has said he wants the two countries to head into the healthcare revolution hand in hand. David Dangor told Jewish News that the aim is to match Israeli innovation in digital health with Britain's cash-strapped NHS. The initiative will be launched in Israel at the official residence of the British ambassador. Also in Israel, officials at the Kerem Shalom border crossing thwarted an attempt to smuggle explosives into the Gaza Strip in a shipment of medical equipment. The Ministry of Defence said the seized materials were identified as a central component used in the preparation of explosive charges. In 2017, dozens of smuggling attempts were foiled by staff at the Kerem Shalom crossing, which is the only commercial gateway between Israel and Gaza. In Iceland, a bill to ban religious circumcision for boys under the age of 18 has been introduced in Parliament. Lawmakers from four political parties in the country back the legislation, which could lead to six years' imprisonment for offenders. All the Nordic countries, Finland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway and now Iceland, have now proposed such a ban, but none have enacted it. In showbiz news, the legendary Jewish singer and songwriter Paul Simon has revealed dates and venues for his farewell tour, which will take in North America, Europe and the UK. The 76-year-old artist will retire after the last show, which will be in London's Hyde Park in July. Paul Simon said it would be a fitting culmination of a performing career which began in the early 1960s. And finally, Channel 4's new TV presenters are 100-year-old Jewish care members. B.T. Orwell, who's a great-great-grandmother, and Millie Finger have spent the week introducing programmes which mark the centenary of women getting the vote. Both B.T., who was born in Aldgate at the end of the First World War, and Millie, who was raised in the East End, attend Stepney Jewish Community Centre, and they also happen to be great friends. The news this week. For the sport, we join Andrew. Thank you, Viv. With the Winter Olympics now underway, history will be made in Pyeongchang when American-born Adam Edelman becomes Israel's first Olympic skeleton slider. Nicknamed the Hebrew Hammer, Israel's previous 13 Winter Olympians competed in alpine skiing, figure skating and short track speed skating. Meanwhile, an Israeli footballer has been handed an eight-month ban by UEFA after testing positive for a stimulant at a Champions League game. Hapa El Besheva defender Shir Zedek failed the doping test following a match against Maribor last August. UEFA said the ruling was final and binding as neither the player or World Anti-Doping Agency appealed the decision. And finally, Israel's tennis team moved a step closer to regaining its place in the Davis Cup World Group after winning their first away match in the tournament for nearly four years. Defeating South Africa 3-2, they next face the Czech Republic in April. Remember, you can catch up on all the latest Jewish sports at jewishnews.co.uk. 
Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Hello there and welcome to this edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off, as we usually do, with a glance over your copy of The Jewish News for this week. Joining me to go through it is editor Richard Ferrer and news editor Justin Cohen. Welcome to you both. And as we have a look at the front page, the headline reads, UK-Israel healthcare link to boost the NHS. A positive NHS story for once and good news for UK-Israel relations. The NHS, as we all know, cash-strapped. It doesn't appear on front pages unless it's a negative story about how it needs more funding. I think it's something like £116 billion a year of our tax money goes to funding the NHS and it's already overstretched. Well, some good news. It's going to benefit from some technology from Israel, cutting-edge technology, technology that's going to help in its research, early diagnosis, personal medicine, undertaking personalised health data, real sort of 21st century stuff that Israel has become absolutely famous for. I mean, Israel is in, integral now in the, in the NHS. Is it one in six drugs, Justin, uh, provided by Teva Pharmaceuticals? And yeah, it's an extraordinary connection between the two. This is a new initiative. It's being sponsored by David Dangor, who's a, a businessman and a philanthropist. And the embassy in Israel have said this will be the most positive best thing we'll see between the two countries all year. But I'm very confused, Justin, because I was under the impression that the NHS sort of benefits already in this kind of capacity from Israeli research, as does a lot of the medicinal world. No, absolutely. That That is the case. And as Richard said, a good percentage of, of, of drugs are used within the NHS come from from Israel. But this is, this is something that's more about research and sharing best practice and basically enhancing that relationship as much as possible you know you can never get enough really of 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 the collaborations that do already exist between Israel and and the UK in terms of tech in terms of scientific prowess so this really takes it to another level the launch will actually take place in Israel next week as Richard said David Dangor is behind it a man who, who who is really integral to the relationship between the two countries in terms of supporting many different fantastic projects that enhance the relationship but also provide betterment to people around the world well i'm delighted to say we will learn more about this from the man himself a little later on in the program now let's have a look at the other story that's on the front page wonder women who are these wonder women we talk of it will have escaped nobody's attention that we are marking a landmark centenary since women i think it was of 30 and over so there was a long way to go still 100 years ago finally got the vote in this country so we have looked back over 100 years and celebrating in this week's paper a century of jewish role models a century of jewish female role models so we've got people like honey g rachel stevens i'm sorry Stacey i'm sorry you Solomons. started off with honey g really <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, so this is a misprint. Justin, why have we printed the wrong women? Um, no, obviously, Honey G, uh, exceptional woman, highly, highly talented musician in many ways, but not as talented and hasn't left such a great mark. You're right there, Phil. Um, <laughs> than the actual 10 women that we are celebrating this week. Uh, that's modern women like Sheryl Sandberg, who's obviously the, the number two at Facebook, Deborah Lipstadt, who, as, as we all know, uh, defined what it means to remember the Holocaust uh, and took on David Irving so splendidly 15 or so years ago. Uh, we've got people like Dorothy Levitt, Barbara Streisand, Anne Frank, who obviously is a household name, Helena Rubenstein. Some of these women will not be familiar to our readers, but I, I do suggest you delve into our pages this week and, and celebrate their legacy. 
And sorry if I wasn't paying attention, I was slightly corpsing there. Is that Golda Meir I spot on the front page as well? Yes, Golda Meir, the first and still only female Prime Minister of Israel, is amongst our bunch of ten. And what page can that be found on if people want to read more about that? Uh, That's a spread across 26 and 27 of this week's paper. Okay, well, someone else who has been making the headlines this week on page two is Mary Hassel, the coroner at the centre of a rather ongoing dispute. Yeah, this is the ongoing issue about burials in the inner London area, which is covered by the uh, coroner Mary Hassel. Ongoing concern because of her cab rank rule that she put in place and the community's efforts to really have that overturned or or potentially, as a number of organisations have called for, for her to be sacked from that position so that she can no longer influence Jewish and Muslim burials. The latest is that this was raised in Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday. Prime Minister appeared to be pretty well briefed on the issue. She pointed out that it's important that religious considerations are taken into account, in particularly at times of particular sadness like this. But she also quite rightly pointed out that this is a coroner is a judge, is part of the judicial process, and therefore she can't really enter it. But she, she pointed out that there are ongoing discussions with the Chief Coroner and Lord Chancellor and so on. And obviously this is something that will run and run it's it's going to become one of the main community issues of the, of the year i think what i find bizarre about this and there are once in a while these stories that come to the surface it's a little bit like the attempt to ban circumcision now in iceland and other nordic countries is that there are religious practices that have been in place for thousands of years and mean so much to so many individuals and yet Somewhere along the lines in this day and age more than ever, people come along and they start trying to tamper with them. It's an extraordinary attitude, isn't it, Rich? It's not a simple black and white issue here. As you said, there, there's uh, there's tradition and there's family requirements here that I, th- I think she is unable to recognise. And I hope that for the sake of the community, the situation can resolve itself. Okay, let's try and shoehorn. Well, we're going to join a couple of stories now together because they're sort of similar theme, as you will hear. Joseph's Bookshop on Temple Fortune and Hendon Hall Hotel are to go bye-bye, which is horrendous. Yeah, a couple of announcements this week of our old stomping ground not being the same as it once was. You know, I, I look back over the years, especially here in Edgware, where we're based, Loppy Lugs. Do you remember Loppy Lugs? You two are too young to remember that. It was a record shop some of our rem- listeners Oh, actually, no, now you say record shop. No, I do remember, now that you mentioned yeah. them, I didn't realise from name, but yes. The old Loppy vinyl, yeah, yeah. Adam's World, where I bought my ZX Spectrum games from, which is right by the station. In in more recent days, Blooms, where Justin and I used to go in Golders Green. That's no longer there. Remember Blustons, the Kentish Town women's yep clothes shop that's gone so two iconic what are you doing there rich no i used to walk past there (laughs) occasionally no the dresses there were very nice but they weren't my size the iconic hendon hall hotel and joseph's bookstore on temple fortune road will both be leaving us uh, at some point later this year the hendon hall hotel is being sold for alternative use not entirely sure what that is and the bookshop is shutting because its owner is going to retire michael joseph retiring after 25 years so they'll be very greatly missed and i'm sure they'll both end up being costa coffees or starbucks or something yes well we live in hope that that might not necessarily be the case because if it was a costa or a starbucks the size of hendon hall hotel i mean that that (laughs) would just be the epicenter of the coffee (laughs) world wouldn't it it would but it is amazing how all of these places it's a little bit like that old adage of if you don't use it you'll lose it but for some reason, in, in these instances, it's not the case with either of them, actually. It, mm. It's just 
for whatever reason they are disappearing but it's actually i suppose in some way quite reassuring to know it's not because of a struggling business like the stories that we hear so often on the high street yeah, I mean, Joseph's Bookstore, Michael, the owner, is saying that it's been profitable, enjoyable, and he's just going to shut up shop because he can't find anybody else to take it on, and he's retiring. Hendon Hall Hotel, I had a pre-wedding event there with, with my wife. It needed a lick of paint back then, so I think really it's, I hate to use the word dowdy, but it's probably seen better days, I think, the Hendon Hall Hotel. It Famously, it looked after the 1966 World Cup winning England team, and they stayed there the night before they beat West Germany, so it uh, secured its place in history there. But you're right, you lose it or you lose it, and uh, there are so many other places that I used to frequent. Carmelis, can you imagine if Carmelis went, or uh, the old Bull and Bush pub, or the Freemason's Arms, or the Pillar Hotel? The Pillar. That's well, another, the relatively new, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, right, but that's another very popular place for the community. L- support local business. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Those were very wise words to finish this particular pay-per-view on. Thank you both very much indeed. That's all we've got time for. Okay, don't forget that you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London, or you could always read the e-paper online at jewishnews.co.uk. UK. Well, as you've been hearing, a new UK Israel health hub is set to launch next week, which will see the NHS benefit from the research and development carried out in Israeli medical institutions. The UK Israel Dangor Health Initiative is backed by Jewish philanthropist David Dangor. And I'm delighted to say that we can speak to him now to find out more about it. David, can we start with, I guess, the genesis of this? Where did this whole idea actually come from? Well, we, uh, big sponsors of the Royal Society of Medicine, and there was an annual memorial lecture for my father. And at the dinner afterwards, I met someone from the British Embassy in Tel Aviv, Sophie Ehrlich, who said, some possibility of an initiative to help Israeli startups in the healthcare field to pitch for business in the NHS because the NHS was keen to get innovative ideas into it. Obviously, that helps to cut costs and deliver better outcomes. So I said, this is just up our street because we love making connections between the UK and Israel. Uh, two countries that are very special to us. So we followed that up, and uh, over the 18 months that followed, we saw the evolution of what is now being launched on uh, Monday. Give us an idea of how this is going to ultimately change the way the NHS works, because compare it to how it stands now and compare it to after this new initiative has well and truly got underway. What difference are we talking about here? Well, it's not intended to change something as huge a behemoth as the NHS. It's intended to bring to the NHS lots of new ideas from one of the countries where we have some of the leading entrepreneurs and creative minds and scientists and medical people doing research and bringing these ideas to the NHS before they go elsewhere. And you get a symbiotic relationship where the NHS gets the benefit of these new ideas, possibly being involved at an early stage with them. And these Israeli startups 
getting a boost to developing their technologies with such a large market as the NHS. Now, this has come at a time when a lot of people are talking about making deals and trade arrangements and all sorts of different ideas with other countries that are outside the European Union. Is this sort of initiative only possible now that Britain is leaving the European Union or is it doesn't affect it? Because there will be some people who wonder if it's part of it. Well, I think it's certainly going to be boosted by the fact that Britain is going to have to Uh, work on many more bilateral relationships, which it may in the past have relied on EU connections, which will not be available to it. So yes, there's definitely an impression I have from the embassy that that has given them an extra incentive to follow this kind of thing. But I have to say, it's been a credit to the British embassy in Tel Aviv that it has pioneered this kind of activity with other areas of high tech between Israel and the UK. Matthew Gould, when he was ambassador, was the progenitor of this. And it was such a a successful scheme that I'm told by David Quarry, the present ambassador, that many British embassies around the world are trying to find out how they can duplicate such a successful model. And can you give us a kind of idea of what sort of fields of medicine this is going to impact on? Because when one says the NHS, of course, this covers a whole minefield of different expertise. Is there going to be a specific medical field that it focuses on? Well, it certainly won't be limited to any medical field. But the reality is that there are areas which we are at the foothills of great new vistas of adaptation and exploitation. For instance, Israel is unique in having huge amount of records over decades with their Kupat Cholim, which can be used anonymized source data. And with the current level of computing power that's available, can be mined for all sorts of relationships where you can then predict people's potential illness long before they present to the medical services with the illness. So that's one area. The other area is, of course, that Israel is the home of some incredibly capable universities, the Weizmann Institute for Science, whose motto is science for the benefit of humanity, so that fits in with, with spreading its science, has some world-beating scientists. And some of those come up with ideas which then can be exploited, have been exploited, but this time we're creating a line directly to the NHS. The other area, of course, is, is genetics, which now that it's become so cheap to sequence genomes, personalized medicine is the buzzword, and we ourselves sponsor the Center for Personalized Medicines at Bar-Ilan. And I'm sure that this kind of expertise that Israel has will help provide some new technologies for benefiting the NHS. And just to clarify, this is an almost first of its kind, really, isn't it? There's nothing we can really compare this arrangement to. 
No, that's correct. Well, it's the first of its kind in the field of medicine. The British Embassy has been doing this with other high-tech areas, but not in medicine, because medicine has much more stringent regulation for the protection of the patients. And that is why we have IBM in Israel really preparing the Israeli innovators and scientists on what the requirements they have to fulfill to pass the hurdles. And then we have the organization here in in the UK, Digital Health London, which is comprised of Imperial College and UCL and supported by the NHS, again, showing how to navigate the complexity of medical requirements before you can really pitch for business properly. And that's the difference in medicine. So this is going to be more about the preparation, potentially focusing more attention on prevention, that age old adage, prevention better than cure. Well, and cure as well, because it's an accelerator for good new ideas to get to the marketplace. And since the NHS is a huge marketplace and Teva, an Israeli firm, but has, of course, subsidiaries all over the world, which it has acquired, Teva provides about a quarter of the medicines in the NHS. So there is an understanding by the NHS that here we have a source of good technology for the medicine that they're providing to all the inhabitants of the United Kingdom. You know, there is one thing that obviously your family, David, is so synonymous with, and that is that you do everything possible to try and help the Jewish community wherever you can. But it seems that you have taken it to the most amazing level where this is ultimately going to benefit the nation as a whole. Just finally, what are your hopes and your aspirations for this new initiative? What would you like to see the outcome be? Well, I'd like to see two outcomes. The first outcome, of course, is to see some of these wonderful ideas that are incubating in Israel come for the benefit of the people of this country. And if that happens, then I think the second outcome, which I'm looking for, is that more and more Israel and the United Kingdom will move forward hand in hand, creating wealth and success for both their populations. Wow. Well, I think I can truthfully speak for all of us when I say it sounds simply amazing. And thank you so, so much again for being an absolute light onto our community. So David Dangor there speaking to me about the new UK Israel Dangor Health Initiative. Thank you very much indeed. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And still to come on this edition will be our Jewish schmooze. Clive Rosin is off this week. So instead, Tony and I will be joined by founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and director of welfare for EHRS Synagogue, Emma Roach. And we'll be discussing what you've just been hearing about, of sorts. We'll be talking about Jews in the medicinal world. And we'll be asking how relevant and how crucial are we as a community to the world of medicine. 
Plus, Harley Baptiste will be finding out about a new toy drive that has been launched in memory of teacher Suri Dabina, who lost her battle with cancer last year. And the toy drive has been set up in her memory, so Harley will be finding out a little more about that for us by someone who represents the organisation. But first, when I say Jewish music, what comes to your mind? Klezmer, maybe? Maybe a bit of Chazanut? Well, whatever it is, you're bound to be able to find it at the Jewish Music Fair for 2018, which has been organised by the JMI, or the Jewish Music Institute to you and me. It's taking place at Eilith Garden Synagogue on the 18th of February, and our arts editor Kate Fulton has been finding out more about it from Jennifer Jenkel of JMI. And Kate started by asking Jennifer to tell us a bit more about the history of JMI. It was started, uh, founded actually under a slightly different name by Geraldine Albach over, I think it was around 33 years ago now. And she was asked to create a concert for B'nai B'rit, a festival actually. And that was its beginnings. We celebrated our 30th anniversary. I took over as chair of the trustees in 2011, the end of 2011. And I didn't ever expect to be in the world of music because that was the, music, the world of my late father, Joe Loss, the band leader. And my mum always worked with him. What actually happened was when my pod passed away in 1990, Geraldine had the brilliant idea of setting up a Joe Loss lectureship in Jewish music. It was at City University, first of all, and then moved to SOAS. And we were delighted because to do something Jewish, I'm passionate about my Jewish world. I think Daddy was as well, but he was too busy to actually do very much about it. He would have been thrilled. And that lectureship has absolutely flourished. Our first lecturer was Dr. Alexander Knapp. And he is one of the people who is part of the lecturers and presenters at our Jewish Music Fair this weekend. Not this weekend, the weekend after. That's how I got into being in music. I just supported my mother. And when she passed away, I ended up in the hot chair. So you grew up in a very musical background. It must be incredible to have your father. Everybody knows him. Well, everybody knew him. Luckily, he didn't put us into a very famous world. He kept us really separate from that because he was a man of the people. So we spent the summer in the Isle of Man at the Villa Marina because he had a season there. We then went to Blackpool for the illuminations. We ended up in Glasgow in the Station Hotel at Christmas and he played at Green's Playhouse. He played for the people, but at the same time, he was the chosen band leader of the royal family and he was very honoured to be given this East End Jewish boy to be given, awarded an LVO as well as his OBE. So I loved it and I didn't realise how much popular music I've absorbed. However, I'm now in a world that's completely different. I listened to classical music when I was studying, but I'm not a musician personally and I'm still learning a lot every day. And the whole of the Jewish music fair that you that you've put together, how did that come about, and what does it? How did well? First of all, how did you set it all up? Well, actually, it had already been run very successfully by Viv Bellos of Eilith Garden Synagogue. 
she's super professional and created all the choirs and decided to retire very recently. I think the last one that she'd held there was two years ago. And probably around four or five months ago, she sent out an email and said, would anybody be interested in relaunching, taking over? And we said, yes, please. And because we're very lucky to have so many connections and such wonderful people, we have Valerie Schulte, Lady Schulte, the widow of the incredible George Schulte, and Michael Grade as our joint presidents. You get a taste of the Broadway and the, after all, Michael's parents, Michael's father and his two uncles, he, he talks about having three fathers actually, were show business in this country when I was growing up and knew my father very well. So we have a wonderful mixture of talent. People think we thought we were just about Klesma, we're not at all. Klesma is part of it and we're showcasing some of the best Klesma musicians here. And what, what is the fair? So it's coming up, isn't it, on the Sunday, the 18th yeah. of February. It's reminding me a little bit of a sort of limud for music, or, or is that an inaccurate description? No, it's very similar. Funnily enough, I'm a fanatic limudnik. There, I think Viv always ran it with the choices. What we've tried to do in the relaunch of it is to have a major session, like a big plenum in the middle of the day. And we're particularly lucky to have Stephen Isselis, who happens to be free. Very honoured to have him join us. And Valerie will be talking to him, having a conversation with him. No, he won't be playing very sadly, but maybe that's for another time. We have a concert at the end of the day. And some of the people who know about us will know that we started a Jewish music youth band as a result of being asked to do some Jewish music education with secondary school children or young people. And we found it much more exciting to work with teenagers up to the age, I think, of 20. And Sam Eastman, who is lecturing or talking on presenting at our fair, together with Stuart Curtis, decided to come into our office and we came up with this wonderful idea. And we have 15 children now playing at the Jewish Music Fair. The, the day is looking quite exciting. It's actually, it's sort of in parts, isn't it? You sort of come for, you can, do, do you come for the whole day? 99% of the people actually want to come for the whole day because the selection, they can, they can go across the sections. They can learn, for example, we have Michael Haas, who is a genius in the world of suppressed music, and he's talking about his work with Excel RT Centre in Vienna. We have Michael Etherton, who happens to be as well the chief executive of UK Jewish Film, and Michael is very musical. The wonderful Malcolm Singer, who has just retired, he's a composer. So the day itself, you can go to, there's sort of quite a few, quite a few things that you can go to. How does it, do everybody just sort of follows one another round, or is it? No, in fact, for the first time, we asked people to pre-register, and it's worked really well because we had to work out the size of the rooms, which room, which presenters needed a piano, that kind of thing, all the technical stuff. And we're a tiny team. We have Gil Carpas and Raphael Knapp. 
and Raphael's a sound engineer, Gilly's the promotion man, and we hope that it's going to work very smoothly. We have a lot of wonderful volunteers as well. Are there any voices or is it all playing music? Oh no, lots of choral and song. The instrumental will not have voices, but under the choral and song there are five workshops and under the presentation people will be playing excerpts. For example, David Prager, who is an excerpt on Chazanot, he will be playing clips of his choice of the different Chazans across Europe from the late 19th century, which is very interesting. And to make it into a, a good Jewish occasion, can you buy lunch or something there? Or how's that working? We're supplying lunch. We're going to have easy lunch, course kosher, but something that people can eat easily in the middle of the day, tea and coffee. And I just thought, having been a Limudnik all my life, the choices aren't so wide that you think, oh, for goodness sake, I wish I could go to three. We restricted ourselves for four different workshops in one slot. And we hope people will go away, especially after the concert at the end, with everybody performing and particularly seeing young people in the orchestra. And to get tickets, how do you go about that? You can book online, jmi.org.uk. We have sold more tickets than have ever been sold before for this kind of fair. And we welcome people, preferably to book it beforehand because of the workshops. That really is helpful. Jennifer Jenkel of the JMI talking to our arts editor Kate Fulton there about the Jewish Music Fair that will take place at Aleph Gardens Synagogue on the 18th of February. For more information, you can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Still to come will be our rabbinic thought for the week, which comes from Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence of Kinloss United Synagogue. And just ahead of that will be this week's schmooze. A reminder, we live stream our schmooze every Wednesday lunchtime from 12.30pm. We would love you to watch along on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Jewish Views, where you can comment along as the discussion unfolds. And of course, we'll try and read out some of those comments as and when we get them. That's just one of a number of ways that you can get in contact with us. And please do. We love to hear your Jewish views, you can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or if you're on Twitter, you can find us at jewishviewsuk. Now, when teacher Suri Dabina lost her battle with a rare form of cancer recently, her friends and family decided that they were going to carry on some of her great work that she started during her life. It was in the form of a toy drive, and the actual charity that has been set up in her name is called Simchas Suri, and the idea being is to collect unwanted toys and to pass them on to those who need them the most. Reporter Harley Baptiste has been finding out more about this for us by speaking to one of the representatives of the organisation Simchas Suri. But they wish to remain anonymous, and with that in mind, Harley started by asking his guest to tell us a little more about Suri. Suri was a very unusual person in that she was very much devoted to the community and especially to children in the community, but she was kind of an unsung hero. She was actually, towards the end of her life, she was deputy head in Pardis House Kindergarten. She had been teaching there for 14 years. Nobody, well, very few people actually knew that she was deputy head because she didn't want it announced. She spent her free time when she was actually not even employed during 
hours, obviously on Sunday and, and after school hours, going to things like car boot sales and charity shops, buying toys on behalf of the kindergarten so that they would be paying a lot less for these items and bringing them home and spending hours and hours cleaning them and making them look like they were brand new. Toys, games, furniture for the kindergarten. She was incredibly devoted. She was a wonderful person in her own right. And I knew her as a friend, but she was very devoted to her family. And obviously they loved her too. And it was a terrible tragedy when last year she died of cancer. So you can kind of say that the toy drive pretty much almost started with her and obviously the Simchasuri initiative has taken it and continued it in her memory. Yes, the family felt that it was a very apt way and a very fitting tribute to her memory because she was so devoted to the children in her care and to children generally And we felt that it would be something that, were she alive, she would have been very proud to have been associated with. What is the stage that the Simchasuri Initiative is at at the moment? Obviously, it's only been going on for a short while, but what what sort of stage are you at? How many toys and and, and items have, have been collected so far? It's obviously a fledgling charity at the moment. We don't yet have registered charity status. We have only just started. We've been running for about a week, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's just starting out. We have been inundated with offers to give toys. We've also been inundated with requests for toys. Some people have very kindly also offered to buy their own toys and donate them to the charity. Equally, some people have offered to give completely unused and unopened toys that they've been given as presents or their doubles or things that their children didn't want. Equally, we've also been given donations, which is obviously also very welcome because it means we can buy new toys. And we've been really overwhelmed by the response. And so where will all these toys be going? Will they go into any specific other charities or to any specific families or the nursery, perhaps? No, the the plan is not to give them to the nursery. The plan is to give them to individuals who have contacted us, who, due to financial constraints or other constraints, are not able to buy their own toys from the shops. This is a service, obviously, that is meant for people who, for whatever reason, can't buy them from the regular shops. We are not trying to undercut any of the shops. So obviously, this is for needy people, for either because you know their children are ill or because they're ill and they can't get out or because simply they just can't afford it. A very important service. I mean, it's no matter kind of what age the child is, having a toy or a board game or something like that to keep your mind active and keep your mind busy and, and, and playful is is important to the children growing up and, and if you guys are able to, to offer that to, to those who can't get it for themselves then it is a fantastic service that you're that you guys are doing. It's really welcome. Well thank you very much. We have actually had requests for books as well and we have been offered books by various people. So it's been really quite incredible the response we've had. We have actually had some mothers of schools offering to have a day where the children within their schools are kind of mitzvah day where it's dedicated to this particular charity and the children bring in toys and games that they have at home that they haven't used or that they have used and that they're willing to clean up for us and that are in general good condition. And we've had some 
other kindergartens as well, nurseries being in contact and saying that they would be also happy to donate toys and games that the mothers have finished using or that they don't need anymore. And we've actually had some shops offering to give us things at cost price or things that maybe have damaged boxes, but the, the actual toys are in perfect condition, but obviously they can't sell it. So we've, we've been very grateful to receive all these things. And if Suri was here to be a part of the initiative and, and see it going on, what do you think she would say? I think she'd be absolutely thrilled. And I'd like to think that uh, she's looking down at us all from heaven and that we've given her some pleasure. I think she'd be more than happy with this whole venture. Amazing work, courtesy of the Simha Suri organization. That was a representative there who wishes to remain anonymous talking to Harley Baptist there. For more information, you can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where ordinarily studio guests would join Clive Roslin to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. Clive is unable to join us this week, and so with that in mind, joining Tony Honigberg and me today, a founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and newcomer, Head of Welfare for EHRS Synagogue, Emma Roach. Now, the subject for this edition is based on the news we heard earlier on. A new project is to be launched, which will see the UK's NHS benefit from Israeli medical technology, thanks to the UK-Israel Dangor Health Initiative. So, we thought we would discuss Jews in medicine. The question is, how much of a part do we believe our community plays in the world of medicine and ultimately healthcare? David, let's start with you on this one. You have declared your love for Israel in the past on this show. Does it come as any surprise to you that Israeli medics are proposing to help our National Health Service in this way? No, none whatsoever. In fact, to be quite honest, I'm absolutely delighted about it. Israel has always been very much at the forefront of international medical matters. They've had their problems because of the international boycotts and the Arab boycotts trying to sideline Israel and Israel's achievements. But you only have to look at the amount of Nobel Prizes which they've won normally in in physics, in chemistry, in pharmaceutical world. And it therefore is no surprise to me. It really thrills me that Israel can portray itself and that the world takes notice of what Israel are able to achieve. They know it anyway, but it makes me very happy when they actually see it and hear about it. And Emma, what about you? In the world of medicine, Israel, what's your association with it? I think anything that can benefit people who are struggling with all sorts of lifelong enduring health problems, whether it's from Israel or from anywhere else, fabulous. Let it happen. That is actually always a curious matter, isn't it, really, when it comes to Israel, how we as a community seem to make a bit of a fuss of something medical related having come from Israel. If it's a breakthrough in technology to do with medicine, oh, it came from Israel. We must make sure the I, world knows this. But actually, does it really matter where it well, comes I from? Well, think, I think it does. It, I think it's great for the Jewish community, the world Jewish community, that all this medical breakthrough that we read about, or a lot of it, comes from Israel. I think it helps for notoriety. I think it helps to prove that we're not terrorists. We are peace-loving in the main. I mean, you obviously get individuals that are, that are nutcases, but generally I think it shows Israel to be a great society. 
He raises a positive profile of Israel, which is it's a, it's a good thing. Absolutely, which is obviously fundamentally important as far as Israel is concerned, because heaven only knows that not many other people who aren't Jewish would raise a profile for Israel. But my point is, does it actually matter where this technology or this medicine comes from? Because very much so, Phil. It matters hugely because we're very able, we're very sensitive, and we're also extremely proud of Israel's achievement. And that's in any walk of life. And I think you know that if this same breakthrough, whatever it is, whether it's in the world of cancer or kidney or any other um, illnesses, and it's discovered by Israel and they, they are the ones who come out, it means so much more to us, to all of us, than if it was made in Switzerland or if they came out and said this is just now been developed in Copenhagen in Denmark. When it comes to Israel, we're extremely proud. And that goes through our life on a day-to-day -day basis. And you know yourself, if you were in Vienna and you saw an Austrian Airlines plane, you wouldn't say, oh, look, there's Austrian Airlines. But if you saw an El Al plane, you'd nudge whoever was next to you and say, look, there's El Al. Exactly. Because, but that's my point exactly, is it means something to us as a community, but does it necessarily have to? And should it mean anything to the wider world? Probably not. Well, it probably doesn't, no. I mean, it does to... I, I've mentioned this several times on this programme with my non-Jewish friends who... Never, ever had a link to anything Jewish until they knew me. And now their ears prick up when they hear anything, something's happening in Israel or something's Israeli or something, you know, the Israelis are at a disaster. Their ears prick up and I get contacts from them to say, oh, you know, Israel's got involved with this again, you know, whatever it is. Before that, it meant nothing to them. See, fundamentally, though, this goes a bit deeper than just Israel, whether or not Israel has been responsible for new technology that's going to benefit the NHS. Jews are quite affiliated already, regardless of Israel, with the world of medicine. I mean, you only have to look at one's local GP surgery in especially northwest London. You don't have to look too far to see a Jewish connection somewhere, whether mm. it be through the nursing staff, whether it be through the doctors themselves, whatever it is, somewhere along the line, there is a Jewish connection. Do you think that it is inherent within us, Emma, especially in your line of work, that Jews just have this this streak in them to try and want to help in the world of medicine and welfare? I think it's a, a very natural thing for the community to want to support and help other people who are perhaps less fortunate or are struggling in some way. I think it's an inherent part and a basic, basic principle in being part of the Jewish community. A lot of people come to me who want to do voluntary work to support other people on the basis that it's a mitzvah. And they feel that they're... That they're, they're history, it is, it? absolutely. Heritage, yeah, very much that's so. What, that, that's what we were I taught, weren't we? So. This is very biblical, isn't it? I think the core thing is that we're extremely sensitive about Israel and all things Israeli. So if they do bad things, it's happened, we're deeply sensitive. And contrasting if they do great medical breakthrough we're extremely proud and that also forms part of the sensitivity mm. of it being israel we pick up as soon as the word israel appears whether it's in a football journal or whether it's in a medical journal or political the moment we see the word israel we are proud and that's mm. the bottom line that's not going to go away i hope i hope it stays forever but isn't the truth of the matter that good news never made news so although obviously, yes, we are talking about this on this week's programme and it's also in your copy of the Jewish News for this week, it's a great story. It's obviously a really interesting and frankly an exciting story because it means the two countries are going to work very closely together in a bid to try and break through on some of the most difficult medical challenges facing 21st century medicine. So it is a very exciting prospect. 
But Are there any details, Phil, on what sort of illnesses and problems that they were going to try and have this break these breakthroughs on i think that the actual details are mm. going to be sort of unpicked a little more as the weeks mm. go on at this stage we just know factually that there is this initiative that's out there that's been sponsored that is about to be launched and i believe it's very much going to be a work in progress as it mm. carries on anyway because this is not supposed to be a one-off where Israeli medics will help the NHS just here and there in the hope for the best that this might improve something. No, it's going this to is, be ongoing. This is a massive structural partnership that ultimately are going to see the two countries working very closely together in this field, more so than they probably have done ever before, which that is what's obviously quite exciting about this particular stage of the events. It's interesting to, or it will be interesting to find out or to see as this continues to open up all those people who belong to the BDS campaign to see whether they will take advantage of what Israel is doing in the NHS or whether they will boycott it and say, we're not having any of that. We won't take those tablets because they're Israeli developed or anything like that. We, we, will they or won't they? Well, this is something that's come up before on this program mm -hmm. before, is that to anyone who does belong to the Blooming Daft so-and-so's campaign... <laughs> whether or not they can actually truly appreciate the terminology boycotting Israeli goods. Well, they because don't, do they? They, they won't recognise just how much Israel has played a part in everyday life because the truth is that it is infiltrated in our technology, in our medicine, Absolutely. to the point that people because, don't recognise. Because, not just Israel, because Jewish people in general are in absolutely every field. We don't run everything, but like any other type of community we are involved in everything absolutely and especially in the world of medicine which is what i was trying to make the point of before even if you take israel out of the equation how much do we believe the nhs is actually i don't like the term propped up but certainly supported by the jewish community because most jews that i know and i don't wish to sound like i'm showing off here but i think it's reasonably factually accurate is that a lot of jews that i know actually have private health insurance. So therefore, they don't even necessarily add to the stress of the NHS, but yet they work in the NHS quite happily. I think for, for Israel to make this cooperation with the NHS is enormous, but you can be certain, Phil, that there will be people who will be anti it, there'll be letters in the press about it, there'll be people who will be organisations, in fact, who will criticise the NHS for going into such a partnership with Israel uh, we're used to it. Um, it happens all the time in any in any sphere, whether it's medicine, whether it's sport. You know, there was a, a massive organisation trying to get Israel kicked out of FIFA, which didn't happen. But the fact is, it was uncomfortable, and this goes on and on. And so, I can't see that side of it going away. What I can see is that the British public will get a better appreciation of what Israel's all about and what Israel is able to achieve. And what you said before is correct, because if those on the boycott committee seriously considered their telephones and their medicine and their heart pacemakers and their technology and all the things that keeps them alive, they'd be surprised if, to find out that perhaps 85% is coming from Israel. And that would not sit very well with them. It might also be a trickle-down effect, so that people who perhaps have a smaller opinion of Israel or don't have an opinion on Israel, because... If it's sort of mushrooms and more and more people are affected by the positive results of this, these medical advances, mm. people become more aware of Israel 
initially in a positive light but why should that mean so much to us why should it be so important for us to have an opinion of israel who has an opinion of sweden or an opinion of luxembourg or or portugal i think to us because because we're proud of israel and i think that's why it's important to us with things that they do but it's not important to people that that are not jewish this is a sensitivity and when major events take place in israel whether it's a concert or an international conference people are thrilled that it's Mm. going to israel look andrew andrew rio the uh, going with his great orchestra to play three or four concerts in israel in april everybody thrilled they're talking about it months in advance Mm. I mean, you could argue that this is patriotism to the strongest possible degree. We as a community, a lot of us anyway, I know it's not true of all the community. I'm well aware of that. And I think we all are. But patriotism does funny things to an individual when they are so proud of the land in which they come from or they are associated with they treat it almost like a family member and exactly the same way that if one's family member was to be responsible for a breakthrough of some description they would be very proud proud of of it but it wouldn't necessarily mean anything to their friends in the same way and, and people immigrants from other countries are always proud of their home country aren't they I think the bottom line is that we are proud of Israel. We're proud of Israel's achievements. When they come out with with these medical breakthroughs, we're thrilled. There's enormous developments at the Haifa Technion, mm. day in, day out, in terms of medicine, in terms of heart valves, in, in, in terms of all the equipment which they are producing to keep people alive around the world. And all the research and development in, in other things, in electronics, not just medicine, but everything else that goes on computerization. And high tech, apart yeah. from San Jose in California, Israel is labelled the high tech capital of the but world. Most, most of the big companies in California use the R&D, research and development, in Israel. Well, yeah. We have to hope that Israel continues to develop in the way it does and the impact that it makes continues to be as completely off the chart as it continues to do so. But I'm afraid that is where we have to leave this conversation because our time is up. However, Tony and I will extend our thanks to founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and Head of Welfare for EHRS Synagogue, Emma Roach. Please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us. You can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash the Jewish Views or on Twitter, we are at Jewish Views UK. And of course, all those details can be found on our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Time now for our rabbinic thought for the week. And this time it comes from Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence from Kinloss United Synagogue. This week is known as Shabbat Shekalim. It is the first of four Shabbatot with special Haftarot that fall around Purim and before Pesach. The Maftir of Shabbat Shekalim introduces the compulsory half shekel raised from every adult male over the age of 20, originally for the building and then for the maintenance of the Mishkan. The count of the money was used as a census. The linking of the donation with the census also teaches two important spiritual messages. First, that rich or poor, the tabernacle and the key communal sacrifices belonged equally to everybody. A second message of the half-shekel census is that the strength of Israel is not found in the numbers who happen to be present. It's found in the readiness of the people to give to the community. Over and above the mandatory half-shekel, free will contributions for the greater good were always both necessary and welcome. Our Haftarah is set in the reign of King Yehoash, who was king of Judah from around 837 BCE. 
About 150 years after King Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, King Jehoash set about a program for repairs and restoration. Originally, Jehoash sought to levy the money directly from the Kohanim, which turned them into beggars or royal tax collectors. It met with no success. Then, under the advice of his protector, the Kohen Gadol, Jehoash had a secure, sealed chest made with a single slit in the roof for donations to be dropped in. Nothing could be pilfered. It was placed at the right side of the altar for those coming to offer sacrifices. And this is an origin of the schnoddering, or bimmer donations, that are made in shuls today. And the location of the chest is also cited by the Mishnah as a reason why we place our mezuzah on the right side of the door. Over recent years, there has been some controversy over an inscription which purports to be an official tablet by King Yahaash celebrating the restoration work. And here's an extract. I am Yahoash, king over Judah, and I executed the repairs. When men's hearts became full with generosity to donate abundant money for the sacred contributions in order to purchase quarry stone and juniper wood and copper in order to perform the work without corruption, I renovated the breaches of the temple and of the surrounding walls and the winding stairs and the recesses and the doors. May this stone become a witness that the work has succeeded and may God thus ordain his people with a blessing. An investigation by the Israeli Antiquities Authority in 2012 concluded that the inscription was a clever forgery. However, other scholars remain open to the possibility that it is genuine. The reference to working faithfully without corruption is an idea from within our Haftorah, where we're told that the masons, carpenters, silversmiths and craftsmen were men of integrity who were so trusted that they weren't required to furnish accounts. While there is a halachic position that those who toil for the charitable good of, of the community should be above suspicion, the expectation that we should be clean before God and man has been translated into greater accountability. The Talmud explains that even the priest who emptied the charity box in the temple was dressed in a simple shift without pockets or sleeves and walked barefoot, depriving him of the temptation to steal or the slightest public apprehension of misconduct. Shabbat Shekalim at the beginning of Adar is a reminder of our ongoing responsibility to maintain our existing facilities and to ensure that we're doing our best for our community. Whether or not the Yehoash tablet is true, we know he did his bit for the community and every year he is remembered for it. We hope that our descendants will say the same about us. Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence from Kinloss United Synagogue with our thought for the week. Thank you very much indeed to him and indeed to all of our guests as that's all the Jewish views we have time for. So my thanks goes to David Dangor telling us about the UK-Israel Dangor Health Initiative, to Jennifer Jenkel of the JMI who was talking about the Jewish Music Fair for 2018 which is taking place at Aleph Garden Synagogue on the 18th of February. Thank you goes also to Harley Baptist's guest for telling us about the Simcha Suri toy drive launched in memory of the late Suri Debina. Thank you to all of our other contributors and, of course, to you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget the team, including our producers Sue Greenberg, Tony Honigberg and Harley Baptiste. You can always listen to the most recent edition of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk, where you'll also find the facility to listen to all previous episodes as well. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.